This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Be sure to check out their new heat boost technology with uh, graphene. Super warm, reflects the, the heat. I know you know some of you guys are still in 80, 90, high 70 degree weather. Um, but as you're preparing for the rut, as you're looking forward um, you know, to those colder all-day sits, um, this stuff is legit. It is packable, uh, not bulky at all. Uh, definitely check that out at uh, HuntworthGear.com. And I got to give a shout out to another one of our uh, sponsors. I don't talk enough about the adjustable red dot. Um, Frank's got one. I got my dad's all sighted in. He was having trouble with it, and you know, within ten minutes, I was able to pick up his bow, which you know, I don't shoot it. It's a antique bow <laughs> he's he he needs to get one of my leftover bows or one that i move on from um and and get it sighted in no problem to where he can shoot it i can shoot it and um i just uh, switched over rests on my bow uh that bear alaskan that has the red dot on there and john's getting that set up for me getting that one ready uh, i'm going to use that a little bit here in in michigan and try and shoot a deer with it um for target acquisition, for low, um, in, you know, low light tar- guys that are having problems with uh, seeing through their peep sights, uh, don't need a peep sight. Um, awesome. Check those guys out at Adjustable Red Dot. Uh, you can go to our website and click on the link there. But um, yeah, got to give a, a, a shout out again to, to our patrons, everybody coming through for this uh, Patreon hunt. Uh, I'm doing as much as I can to get everything all set up for uh, the Patreon hunt coming up. Really fun, but 
man, it's a lot of work trying to get together this giant deer camp, but it's going to be so fun. Um, you know, it's pretty much closed now, but for you guys, um, who are considering, uh, you know, who are interested in it, uh, shoot me a message and maybe you can come up and, um, have a beer with us or hang out, see what's going on at camp. Um, and Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators that helps us to, um, do all the things that we do for the show. And, you know, we try and give back as much as we can. Uh, we do quarterly, uh, giveaways for the Patreons and, uh, this quarter, uh, Latitude's given a full saddle kit, uh, one of their classics and, uh, you know, Huntworth is giving, you know, some of my favorite gear, their Holton setup. Um, it's like got that Berber lining. It's windproof. Uh, it's got the DWR coating on it. Um, really good cold weather stuff. That's not terribly expensive. Um, not as warm as the heat boost stuff, but, um, really great, really great stuff. Um, you know, Lucky Buck, they give away uh, one of their uh, tubs of Lucky Buck or uh, some of their seed. They give away that if, if you can't use the, the mineral in your area. And uh, Spartan Forge, Spartan Forge is, you know, uh, I feel like I've been doing them a disservice. I've got a podcast coming up this week with uh, Bill from from Spartan Forge to talk about some of the new things they've got coming out and some big announcements that they have. Um, they put on a veterans hunt as well, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but they've got incredible mapping. Um, really enjoy that. Uh, the functionality of it is, is great, but really it's artificial intelligence for the deer woods. And as we get into the season, it tells you, you know, historical patterns for deer and kind of the areas to find them. Um, you know, so you can be more efficient as a hunter. You can check them out at SpartanForge.ai and use uh, code BOWHUNTER to save 25%. Got to do that online. And they give away a one-year subscription to Spartan Forge. And then our friends over at Zingers, they they give away a, a thing of Zingers every every quarter, and uh, we can't thank them enough. We got a podcast coming up with them as well, so tune in for that. Uh, but you can check all that out at patreon.com forward slash but chronicles podcast or you can just go to our website go to our instagram click on the link and uh, we'll get you signed up and you know 33 cents a day 17 cents a day you know something like that to help us continue to be able to bring as much content as we can to be able to do some of this stuff and we really are we're trying to give back as much as we can and we do you know appreciate everybody um and just a shout out to uh jordan uh, Lamers, uh, he's in Hamilton, Michigan. He's one of our latest patrons. Uh, got some new shirts being printed, uh, but I'll get a shirt and the swag pack out to you in the mail here uh, really shortly, Jordan. But if Patreon isn't your thing, don't worry about it. Just tell a friend. Tell them about this episode. Tell them about the podcast. Um, you know, we can't thank you guys enough for that, and we do appreciate everybody that listens. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And I feel like I'm talking today with, um, I don't know, in, in, in my uh, opinion, he, he's, he's a lot like our friend uh, Billy, where he's like the most interesting man in the world, right? So it's, it's Jason Red from Timber Ninjas. He's a jujitsu mountain biking, trail running, uh, trad bow carrying bow hiking 
machine. And uh, he's one of these guys I talk to a lot. Um, he's helping me with uh, learning to shoot the trad bow. I, I text him videos of all my failures and uh, my successes here and there. Uh, but a guy that I really look up to and uh, I want to talk to about uh, some, some woodsmanship today. So what do you think about Is that a fair assessment, uh, Jason? Um, I don't know fair, but you, you kind of like made a tear come to mind. I got cold chills, like explaining that. Uh, <laughs> I think you really oversold me, but uh, uh, I guess to summarize that, yeah, I like doing a lot of fun th- things that are fun to me that are mentally challenging, I guess is the best way to put it. And if, uh, you know, if things aren't mentally challenging to me, I'm not going to have fun doing it. So I won't do it for very long. Well, but, it- yeah. I think a perfect example of that is like we're having a conversation one day a few years ago amidst the COVID six in the morning. And he's like, yeah, I'm making the stand out of carbon. It's probably cost me, you know, way more than it should have and whatever. And people say, nobody's going to buy it and all these things. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, I want to do it for myself and I'm going to do it. And, you know, that that's just what it is. I'm not doing this for anybody else except for, for me. It's like, if I'm the only one using the stand, I want to do it because it hasn't been done before. And I think it's that, like, like determination, stick to and, like, the fact that, you know, you're not doing it to to show anybody else or, like, oh, there's a bunch of money in this, so I'm just going to hop into the, the hunting industry. We were talking about that a little bit, and it's like, he's like, oh, yeah, it's really busy, coming into a busy time for me. It's like, yeah, start a hunting company, right? Love to hunt great idea (laughs) yeah yeah you know i guess it it's like anything else and i'm not saying that like my company's successful by any means um i mean we think it is you know for what we're trying to achieve but from outsiders looking in they see people that have these companies and they see the success or you see people walking around with six packs and they see that but and it looks cool and you want to do that but you don't understand what it takes to get to that. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of work and a lot of stress and a, a lot of failure that comes with success. I mean, they, you know, they say mastery comes after 10,000 hours or 10,000 shots, you know, Kobe Bryant become, he, he shot 10,000 shots before he re- reached the level of mastery. Like in jujitsu, it takes on average 10 years of training jujitsu, getting your face smashed every day before you can become a black belt. There's no quick way to you can't buy your way to those types of successes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think about that. Like even from like the podcast side, it's like really easy to start up. I'm sure it's really easy to start a company. It's really easy to start a podcast. Um, but to do it, you know, week in and week out and to do all this stuff every day and like, but I, I mean, this is episode like probably 218, 220 or something like that. And so there's nowhere near 10,000 hours of, uh, of this i haven't put in that much so I'm still not an expert but having fun doing it you know oh dude i mean i didn't realize how much went into a podcast until we started one and i was talking to a buddy of mine last night uh from the stick boys they have a podcast on traditional bow hunting and he was just saying how much he does it for f- fun and loves doing it and i was like man but there's a lot of work in that because when we started doing it uh y- you know as you know you got to spend time tra- tracking people down to, to record with. Then you got to take your own time to record with them. And then you got to take all this time to edit if you want to make a, a good quality product. And then even beyond that now, you know how Instagram is working where they're not really 
applying the algorithms to pictures anymore. It has to be reels. So then you got to take and convert a small snippet into a reel from your podcast to really get it to, you know, track in the algorithms of Instagram. And like, so my business partner, Jordan, he does that because I don't know how to do it. And I have zero interest in it. You know, uh, he, he likes the creativity, but after we record a podcast, he has to sit down, you know, like we did one with Bo Martonic the other day and I was talking to him this morning because he's editing it. He's got to sit there and listen to that podcast for, it was an hour and a half for an hour and a half to edit. And then he has to, you know, critique things and make tweaks. And then another hour or so just to put those snippets together to make this real. So like you're looking at eight hours of podcasts almost, you know, if you, when you, when it's all said and done. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, I think like really like we wouldn't be having this conversation without a podcast. We wouldn't, uh, there's, there's so much, um, information out there. You know, I've learned so much from doing this and like, it's incredible. And I think like ultimately the listener end of it is the same thing. And like, that's kind of why I wanted to bring you on today. Like outside of like gear, right? Like, yeah, you have a company to sell gear, um, you make stuff that you like and you know, that is, is going really well, but the, we were talking about it just a little bit. Like we talk a lot of tactics, we talk gear, we talk all this stuff, but, but woodsmanship is what you were saying. You know, your, your buddy, you'd introduce me to Nathan Killen. I've had him on the vitals live a couple times and just great, like super guy. Um, you say like, he says tactics don't kill deer woodsmanship kills deer. And so like for you, what does woodsmanship mean to you? Like, how do you define it? That's a good question because if you look up, try to define woodsmanship in the dictionary, there's really not a good uh, explanation. So I think it, what, to your point, like it means something a little different for certain people. And for me, it's like woodsmanship as it relates to deer hunting is like, understanding the woods and the animals that you're pursuing so and the only way you're going to achieve that you can't yeah you can listen to people that are starting to talk about it but the only way to really achieve that is you got to spend the time in the woods right so tactics do tactics work yes you know you know tactics are understanding where you know buck bedding understanding how deer use their beds understanding how deer use the rut understanding, you know, um, wind and thermals and all that stuff. But none of that matters if you don't have the intelligence to know that those deer are going to be there. So you have to understand what are it, it, based on the terrain, how, where do deer bed in that type of terrain? How do they use that terrain? What do deer feed on in your woods? So like in the woods you hunt, so you need to learn, you know, forage, uh, especially if we're talking big woods, you know, no ag, we're just talking big woods here. You have to learn what type of forage they're going to feed on, what mass crops. So, you know, for mass crops, you got to st- start learning how to identify certain trees. So, you know, what's a red oak versus a pin oak versus a, a white oak, because, and, and that comes from understanding that in the spring. So you can identify those trees before the acorns hit the ground, right? Like it's, it's pretty easy to identify an acorn once it's on the ground, but it's a lot harder to understand what tree is laying that down. Right. And, and, and then also understanding 
you know, mass cycles too, which is something I still really don't understand. Like why do some years that we have trees that drop and some don't, I mean, obviously it has to do with the spring and rainfall and stuff like that, but there's certain species of trees that have rotations of how they drop every year. And then even at elevation here where I live in the mountains, understanding what elevations are going to start dropping first and which ones are going to drop later as the season goes on. So you have to move elevation if you're looking for feed trees. Uh, and, and you don't get that until you spend the time in the woods putting the boots on the ground. And the boots on the ground is what matters. Uh, and it's like what we were just talking about, all this stuff. And I used this, uh, this quote the other day, you know, Ronnie Coleman, who was the Olympian, the Olympian uh, bodybuilder, he always says, everybody wants to be a weightlifter, but they don't want to lift any weights. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's true. Like everybody wants to be a big buck killer, but they don't want to do all these things that it takes to kill bucks and gadgets and tactics aren't going to work. If you don't know where those big bucks are and how they, how their personalities are and just how they move and what they do. Because like, if we're talking mature deer, they don't act like the other deer. I mean, they're, they're completely different birds. So when you're saying that I'm, I'm listening to it from like a, a listener standpoint and in my personal opinion, I think you, you come to like a really uh, hard crossroads there, like a real, like chicken in the egg movement. Right. So if I'm, I'm, I'm Johnny just starting out here and I say, okay, I'm trying to hunt deer. I need to learn woodsmanship. I need to learn what the deer do. And that's going to take time in the woods. And that is in the spring. And I go in there in the spring and I don't know what I'm looking at and I don't know what, uh, what I'm looking for. So now I'm just kind of wandering around blind yes, you can identify all of those trees or whatever. And I think from those mass cycles, from everything that you're saying, like, I mean, hell I'm dealing with it this year. Right. So I know where there's all these Oaks, but I still have to go in there and say, are they dropping or not? And if they're not, then now I got to go to plan B, C, D, or I got to find the ones that are dropping. But then the other side of that is like, if I just go out into the woods at random, walk around, find some deer tracks, get up a tree hunt and use that as my time in the woods. Didn't spend any time in the spring. And I see deer moving through this area. I see them moving, um, here, there, everywhere. Now I can go back the next year, whether I'm successful or not. And I can try and figure out why those deer were over there and what was going on. So it's like, how do you approach that from like a brand new, standpoint right because it's like you can go out in the woods and wander around and i think that that's where these higher level guys have a hard time breaking it down for a new guy because they already have all of that like knowledge base they've already spent the time in the woods so they understand how deer react they understand why deer use certain areas so when you say you know what do you look for at this time of year they say well it's all situational and so that helps nobody right yeah well there's a there's a blessing to social media there's a blessing to you know youtube and all this stuff and where you get these guys that you get to see that hold the end result the big animal and they do it consistently year after year that's the guys you want to listen to right um you're looking at a guy that's a professional athlete and 
you know, as a new hunter, that's what you see because that's what's pumped the most. There, you know, people aren't pumping newbies killing does, right? So you're seeing the you're seeing the pros, and behind every pro, he started as a little league player. So he started in the path that that new hunter is, is in, but there's not many people. And when a podcaster, you know, let's say that, cause that's like one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the best ways of getting knowledge out of somebody is having a one-on-one conversation with somebody that knows what they're talking about. Um, so they want to hear about the cool stuff, you know, the pro stuff, but they rarely ask the questions about when that person started and how they came up. So the main thing for a new person to do is to get out there, like you're saying, and just hunt and fail. And because that's how everybody learned from the beginning, but because most of us that have been hunting for a long time, I'm 42 and I've been hunting since I was seven years old with these resources weren't available. So the only thing we knew was to go out there and have fun because just hunting was what was fun to us. It wasn't, it wasn't killing a big deer. Now we had magazines and we see those big deer and we would dream about it in the woods, but I didn't start focusing on big deer until I was probably 17 or 18. All I wanted to do was kill everything. Whatever it came by me was dying. I didn't care what it was. If it was legal, it was dead. And my goal at that point was to kill as as many as my tag would allow me to, <laughs> you know. And by doing that, you you start to learn these things, right? You start to learn these different, you know, because like when we were talking about mass crops, you go in a, you know, mass is not going to be there every year. So you got to think about, well, what's that secondary food source, you know, and like, a lot of people don't talk about trees that fall in the woods and they're green deer will start eating those green leaves off of a fallen maple or a fallen oak, or, you know, even in the, uh, you know, late season when you've got small oaks budding out, they eat those buds off the trees to survive. So it's little things that come and it only comes from experience and doing it and wanting to learn more. And talking about gadgets, you know, and I do sometimes criticize gadgets, even though I use them and, you know, I get made fun of, by my partners and my friend circles, it's like, so it's become a lot easier to identify things in the woods these days. Like I have an app on my phone because, you know, when I'm spending time in the woods, I also like I forage for mushrooms. I love foraging for mushrooms in the spring when I'm turkey hunting or out trail running or hiking or scouting. And they have an app. I don't know. You may be familiar with this. It's called Seek and it's an offline app and it's free. You can hold your, it's programmed with your camera. You can put that on a tree you can put that on a leaf. You can put that on a fern, a fern, and it will identify that for you and tell you what that is. You know, we didn't have those resources back in the day. Like people that were really good at that kind of stuff, you know, they, they had, you know, they had books they carried in the wood, you know, field guides that they looked at, you know, based on native species in that area. And that's how you learn. But we do have gadgets. Gadgets are good for that kind of stuff now that make it really easy. Um, same thing with maps and stuff. You know, I used to carry paper maps. Now, you know, I'm using a Spartan Forge that has everything that I was looking at different applications to get data is in one app in my hand. And like, it just makes things more simple. So there are areas of place for gadgets. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not running around the woods in a loincloth, uh, barefooted, shooting a stick bow, you know, hiding behind rocks. Um, so sorry, I went down a rabbit hole there, but like, you're only going to gain that knowledge by doing it. Because like we could sit here and talk about all this stuff, and it won't relate to you until you get in the woods and start covering ground and seeing it firsthand. Well, for sure. Like first of all, I was chuckling there because I you were like 
talking about mushrooms and foraging and I was, and you're like, yeah, and the guys that were good at, it, and I'm like, they're still alive and the ones that aren't are dead. So <laughs> like, like <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that, that's the way it goes with mushrooms and foraging yeah. things, but um, yeah. Or some of them went on a really good trip. Right. They didn't die. <laughs> right. right. They're still out there. Uh, yeah. But, but from that point, like, how do you, I guess as a, as a, a culture, right. As, as hunters, as podcasters, as teachers, as, as guys that are like stewards of hunting, right. How do we, um, the only word I can think of is like thwart this, uh, instant gratification society that we live in. And the fact that people say, well, I, you know, I've never killed a deer on public land or I've never killed this, but I'm going to wait for Pope and young, or I'm going to, you know, I'm what? nothing smaller than an eight point or, or, or whatever. And I mean, I find myself, you know, kind of, kind of in that there's deer that I've passed that I should have killed. But like the first deer that I killed on camera, I was like, I'm going to kill, you know, the first deer that I can on camera, unless it's a spike or something like that. And I killed the fricking four point. That was basically a spike with brow tines. But I was like, what am I doing? Like, here I have a perfect opportunity to kill a deer on camera and who, why am I not killing this deer? You know, I had to basically talk myself like out of not killing him because it was like, you know, this, I carry all this gear into the woods. I've never been successful with a camera. Like I ha understanding the process, like I, you got to do it to get better. So like, how do we, uh, I don't know, dissuade people from, caring what other people think um man that's a hard cultural problem right because you have so many people on these facebook groups and stuff that criticize people for what they shoot if it's not up to the standards of what the social norm is for success right but like to your point um shooting shooting any deer like you've killed deer but then you wanted to catch one on film we kind of got to start back at the basics because you're adding another element that's complicated. And I can speak from experience because I start, I was kind of forced by my team to start filming last year some, and I never wanted to because I didn't care about that, but they were like, we need the content. And so I did it and I took it on first trip. I mean, first time I hung that damn thing on my tree, I was on an Iowa rut hunt, you know, like, the thing that I've been build my whole career as a hunter up to have the skill set to in time put draw on this tag to get there to do that. And I add this other complex thing in there. And it kind of worked out for me. But if you're going to like add a new process, I think you need to drop your standard a little bit. It's like when I went to start shooting a trad bow, I was already in the phase where I was focused on killing mature animals with a compound. But then I went to the trad bow, I was like, I'm just going to shoot the first thing and I'm going to start from the, the bottom and work my way back up, you know? So to answer your question, like we as society need to quit shaming these people and make them feel bad about what they kill. Cause we don't know when that guy posts his, you know, basket rack eight on, you know, let's say run and gun whitetails on Facebook. Like nobody knows really the backstory if he didn't set, tell it, to understand that that may have been his first buck. And that means a, that should mean a lot to anybody. If not, you're devaluing the damn animal, you know, I mean, from my perspective. So we have to like kind of change that shift. And, and, and also like in my jujitsu gym, my jujitsu professor, 
wanted to hunt when he moved here. He learned that I hunt and I got him into hunting and helped mentor him and kind of started him on the right path. And he shot a spike with me with a rifle. And he's like, man, I don't know if I want to shoot a spike. I was like, dude, you shoot the first damn thing that walks out that's legal. And he was so stoked and I was so stoked for him. And in t- and through that, we live in a very liberal area in Asheville, right? And a lot of, through Joe Rogan and all that, it's brought a lot of people that listen to Joe Rogan into the gyms of jiu-jitsu right and these people are hearing joe rogan talking about hunting for food and so these guys are wanting to get into hunting and and in our gym's great because we've started converting a lot of people that were essentially anti-hunters to hunters and a couple of them started having success and they killed like a couple does but they hear you know me and jordan my business partner who's been hunting since he was a kid talk about killing mature deer and stuff and they're like and they've killed one or two deer and they're like man how do you start killing mature deer I was like, well, there's a process, but I said, the thing that you got to learn in your stepping stones is you're going from an animal, you know, from a doe, a young doe, a young buck that is uh, adolescent that doesn't have as much experience to like a master. Right. And I said, so there's these little steps. It's not just finding him. It's when he comes in, how he's acting, how wired and triggered he is. So when he does come in, if you're bow hunting, if you haven't had the experience of getting drawn back on a, you know, a lot of deer, you're going to botch that deer and not even get the shot because he's going to pick you off. Or if you didn't know how to set up right, you know, you can set up shitty and have deer come in that don't know what's going on, but you can't make that same mistake with a mature deer, you know, cause they, they, they played the game. They, you know, there's things they pick up on that just through experience. So you got to kind of match your levels of experience if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. But I think the, the overall attitude, I mean, it's easy to say, but I think the overall keyboard warrior attitude is like, you know, if you're not killing this, you're shit. You know what I mean? Like, there's no room for this. You're not a good hunter. Like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if it's like the male ego thing or if it's like a look at me or it makes people feel better to put people down. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. And, you know, I've said it a bunch of times, but I say like, to your point about like, maybe that's that guy's first buck. Maybe it's his biggest buck, maybe whatever. Like, I feel like, like deer hunting and boats are the same way. You can spend $200,000 on a, you know, center console, 25 foot, 30 foot boat. And I can pull up to you in a 40 foot boat, you know, and you just spent your life saving. This is a boat you've been dreaming about your whole life. And the same Mm -hmm. thing is with deer is like, you can, you can kill, 120 inch deer in Michigan and think it's like the greatest thing ever. Michigan public land. Oh my God, this is the biggest deer I've ever seen in the woods. And then the Iowa guys or the Kansas guys, or these guys that have these managed farms are like, Oh, you know, needs another year or whatever. And just like, just the shit on your parade, you know? Yeah. Well, the problem is man with social media is a lot of what these people say, they wouldn't say it to your face anyway. So they're going to hide behind a keyboard and blap this stuff out, but they wouldn't say that to somebody face to face. And it, you know, I guess to my point, some of these folks need to be punched in the jaw and like, and they probably didn't get whipped enough as a kid to be humble and understand humility. I mean, to your point, like a 120 inch deer in Michigan is, is a great trophy. I mean, the deer on the wall behind me, they're great deer. I mean, great deer, but anywhere else, I mean, for here, when you're killing in the mountains here, there's 0.4 bucks harvested per square mile. That's not the same as like I went to Iowa and saw 30 bucks in a week and, and 10 over four years old. Like the one right behind me, directly above me, that's the only deer I saw that year. And I was hunting just him. I mean, he's the only deer, no does, nothing. He, it's the only deer. And 
I probably set on him 60 times before I killed him that year. And I'm talking, and I'm not trying to like blow it up and act like I'm some badass, but I was going in three and a half miles one way to get to where he was and losing like 1500 feet of elevation to go down and going over ridges. I did that 60 times, you know? Um, so, and you know, so to me that he's a freaking, he's the Hanson buck, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so it's just all in perspective, man, of what, and we just can't, as a hunter, we can't let other people's opinions rain on our parade either. Yeah. I think this is a, a great conversation, like going into the season because, you know, first day of the season, last day of the season, right? Like they say, well, if you wouldn't shoot him on the last day, or if you'd shoot him on the last day, you should shoot him on the first day, you know? And like, you go in with these like super high expectations. And I know that you've done, you know, a lot of hunts like your Alaska hunt and elk hunting and all that stuff. Like, you know, you go in, you're like, okay, well, this is, we're only going to shoot these. Or this is what the thing is. And then halfway through when you're 50 miles into your trip and you're like, okay, well now the, the stakes have changed and, and these things. And then by the end of the day, you're like, just give me a spike or anything like, you mm-hmm. know, like we should have that mindset of like having fun going into it. And like, if it makes you happy, if it makes you smile, if it gets your heart rate up, like forget about like everything else and remember why you're there. And if you're there to post a picture for somebody else, so somebody else sees it, so it validates like, like you need to maybe take, take a step back and like check yourself a little bit because that's not what it's about. No, it's not. And I mean, you know, we're just kind of to your point, we're kind of talking about like where I am now in my hunting career. I'm, you know, I'm 42 and like, I can be a little, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for different reasons. And we were talking about this before the podcast, you know, why I picked up a trad bow. It wasn't for the image by any means. It was because I, the experience that I wanted to have, but I haven't always been that way. Like when I was younger, I was the same way as anybody else. Like I was stuck on inches only and letting things walk and, you know, going home, eating tag soup and like depressed, you know, and that's not a fun way to live your life. And I kind of got stuck in that in Alaska, man. Like, to be honest, like on that hunt, that trip I did there, I went in with my longbow and I carried my rifle with a buddy. Uh, the goal was to, um, I wanted to shoot one with my longbow, but I also wanted to kill a big animal. And, but the goal was like, who had first shot was if we couldn't get close enough with the bow, my buddy was going to take the first shot with a gun. Cause all he was hunting with was a gun. First day we killed a cranker. He killed a cranker of a caribou, uh, like right out of the tent. We spotted it like a couple miles off in the spotting scope and got over and snuck in on him and just got a drainage ran out and I couldn't get, there's no way I could get any closer to him with a bow. And I was, and cause he was like 400 yards and my buddy's a ex-military expert shot and he dumped him, you know, at 400 yards with 300. And then, and, and while I'm saying this, we came back around and we started, I got so focused on that big animal that he killed that I want to do that too. And I want to do it in my boat or I want to do it period. And I, I led a male young caribou. I stalked in on him and he came in and I had my long bow. He was 10 yards and I let him go. Cause I didn't feel like he was big enough for me. So I'm sitting here like, you know, saying all this, but then I, I, I myself did it too. You know, like I let that get the best of me. And then I ended up not killing anything. And so I went home with nothing when I could have had a phenomenal experience of killing a caribou in the tundra 
at 10 yards with a longbow, you know, like that's pretty dang cool to a lot of people regardless, you know, but I got stuck on the freaking horn size, you know? Well, and that was my elk hunt last year, right? I mean, I went and did a, a, a spike camp with my dad through Outfitter and they just, we took horses in and dropped us off and it was first rifle season. I brought my bow and I hunted every day with a bow. And then the last day I just borrowed a rifle and went out and shot an elk. And I got that experience of, you know, shooting an elk, you know, processing it, doing all the things. And man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like it was a great experience. And we do this, you know, it's a bow hunting podcast. That's what I'm super passionate about. And I tried it, but you know, I was like, am I going to be so prideful or whatever that I'm going to be like, nope, I'd rather not like, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever it was, it was awesome. Um, and, and that's a, a really like difficult conversation to have because it's, it's everybody's like internal struggle. And I can't tell you like how you're supposed to feel about, you know, you have to shoot something or, or, or whatever, but like, so, you know, my, uh, story, like with the, with the trad bow side of it, like I would say, I'll sit here and say that I'm the world's worst bow hunter, right. With a compound, with a whatever, you know, cause I'm, I'm learning, I'm trying to get better, but I'm at this point, like I'm confident that I can find deer and I can kill deer with my bow. Mm-hmm. Um, but so why would I want to add in more difficulty? And it's because it's just like a goal of mine. Like I would love to shoot something, anything, a fawn with a trad bow, just to get in that close to execute the shot, like do all the things. But like when you made the switch to traditional bow hunting, like how do you, you know, we have so much respect for these animals. Like how do you balance that? Like, cause I feel like that learning curve, even like, you know, go back to, you know, me bow hunting at 12 and sending arrows over deer. And, you know, I don't know how old I was when I hit my first deer and didn't recover it, but like, that's a traumatic thing. Like we love these animals. You don't, you want to be, you know, as clean ethical kill. You want to put in all the practice. You want to do everything. And so like, why, how do, how do you, and I asked this to Chris Perino, like you said, you talked to him, but I'm like, how do you know when you're ready to, to make that jump. And, you know, Alex from, uh, latitude, I was just talking to him and he missed a deer out in, uh, Nebraska with his trad bow carrying it around. And he's like shot right over his back, you know, you know, and it's like, how do you decide that you're gonna, that you're ready for that? Like having the respect for the animal. And we talked about it where, you know, inevitably it's going to be a big buck and you're going to miss them and you're going to have to be frustrated about that. But like, you know, to have a deer inside of 10, 15 yards and then make a bad hit or something like that, like ethically, I feel like, man, that's on me at that point, you know? Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with a weapon because, I mean, people wound animals with rifles at 10 yards, you know, people wound and miss with uh, compounds you know, the weapon doesn't matter. It's like, it, it, it definitely is your skill set and knowing like where you're going to be the most confident. Um, and, you know, with shooting a trad bow or shooting any weapon, like you need to be practicing with that weapon a lot. And 
you know, like when I picked up the trad bow and this goes back to talking, you know, thinking about my other hobbies, like I do all the hobbies that I enjoy, I do regularly year round. Like there's a lot of guys that bow hunt, right. With a compound or, or whatever weapon that just when hunting season's over, everything goes in the locker and they don't do anything. And then it comes out a month, two weeks, sometimes night before season. Right. And they go in and like, Oh shit, I just missed this deer. Or I shot this deer in the ass. Um, you know, for me with the, before I was ready to go hunt with a stick bow, I shot that thing every single day. And I still do that. Like, I don't get to, you know, obviously I can't do it every day, but anytime I have free time and it doesn't matter if it's just one arrow, I shoot that one arrow just to continue my process and stay fresh. And so, so you, then you become very confident in your, in your, um, shooting abilities. Well, the thing with going from, well, with any weapon, does it matter? Like, you know, if you were a successful compound shooter and you were used to shooting deer at 35 yards, you know, you got to understand your maximum range when you go to the trad bow, what you're comfortable with shooting in your yard. But then in my opinion, you need pretty much when it comes kill time, you need to cut that in half or even more if you can. So that way the opportunity for botching a shot on five to 10 yards is pretty unlikely because you've shot so much at 30 and cause you got to think your, your adrenaline's going to be up unless you've, unless you've shot under stress, like that's going to add a component to when that deer is at five yards. And you know, anybody that most people have hunted have had animals close to them, you know, maybe that close, but if it's a target animal, like that's a different story because your adrenaline is going through the roof. So you got to, you know, understand how to control those emotions. And then, so that, that shot window needs or shot distance needs to be cut down as much as possible. And then that, so in able to do that, your whole mindset, and you know, this probably could like segue, but more back into woodsmanship, you have to learn how to, and this, this was my learning curve, right? Like when I first started hunting with a trad bow, I went all in and that was, Trad bow or nothing for me, and it still is, except I do gun hunt. Don't get me wrong, and muzzleload hunt some. Uh, but I was good at getting on the, the deer because I shot that first doe, and I was like, okay, I did that. And then I had zero interest in shooting small bucks. You know, it's just for me, I, I was already kind of felt like I had this, my skill set was improving. I was getting better at being consistent on getting on mature age class. So I went and went back and just went straight to that. Right. And, but I'd been, hunting with a compound for so long i was really good at getting them into that my bubble with the compound well that bubble just got cut in half so now you got to go from being in the center of let's say a rut funnel you know let's use that as example and where you can shoot trails at 35 you have to start processing your mind and your skill set to be able to identify and some of this is really a gamble to pick out what exact trail that deer is going to take that when he comes in and Dalton Lewis from Stickbow, chronic, I mean, Stickbow, stick boys, he talks about this too. And I, I think it's a good analogy. You don't have to, you don't, you have to understand not only what trail he's going to take, you need to understand where he's going to put his foot. And that comes from woodsmanship, you know, looking at trails, finding tracks, you know, seeing the tracks and you can differentiate a mature buck track from a, uh, a adolescent track, um, you know, rub line, you know, what size deer is capable of making these rubs. And it's not always the biggest tree, 
you know, the biggest tree obviously is going to be a bigger deer, but big bucks also rub small trees. And you got to understand like, well, if that thing is twisted off at the ground, a, a spike's not twisting that, that sapling off the ground. So that's a mature deer also identifying like, okay, a scrape, how high a licking branch is. You know, deer, bigger deer are bigger. So they can, they get on their back legs or whatever to hit licking branches. It's going to be, a, or even raise their head. It's going to be a lot higher than what a, you know, one and a half, a two-year-old deer can reach. Right. It's just little things like that. So you have to really hone those skills down and be really that much better of a woodsman to be able to get those animals in five, 10, 15 yards. Right. I mean, cause for me with a whitetail, I mean, I'm comfortable and feel confident under the right situation. If I wanted to, I would feel confident to shoot a buck at 30 yards. If if everything was perfect, but I'm not going to do that. Like I, I go 20 and under if, it, if, if he's past that, I, I, I don't, I don't take my bow off the, off the hanger. So from that, and, and you're exactly right. Uh, from like the woodsmanship, that's what we're coming back around to is like, the trad guys, and I think Jason Sam Koviak, like, articulates it best, like, either through his, like, classes or, like, whatever. But he's looking for things that most guys don't even, like, think of. And if you've been in the woods enough and you've hunted and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to hunt this trail, I think, to your point with a, with a compound bow, you're like, okay, well, I'll get up this tree and then the, the trail's over there. Well, these deer aren't always on that trail. They're, you know three yards over here they're browsing through they're picking their way you know and then there's a deadfall that they go around or something and then that you know now they just parallel the trail over there until they come back to it when they have to so like what are some things like that you look for as you're going out there like say like i know you're gonna go to like ohio and hunt like out of state, maybe an area where you don't have a tree preset or picked out. So like, as you're going in the woods, you're walking through there, you find a good area. Like what are some of the small, like nuanced things that, you know, maybe are more apparent to that guy that needs them 20 yards and in than a guy where like, Oh, this looks like a good area. I'm going to sit here and I can shoot all these different places. Um, you know, I mean, are you talking about any deer or mature deer or, or, or what? Just any deer. I mean, like, so it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. I'm just saying like some overlooked things that, that people might tend to miss when they're getting set up that, you know, as a traditional hunter, you have to pay attention to. Well, I mean, it, it, it really doesn't, I mean, I think as far as any deer and, and, and all of it, like it, it all kind of, it doesn't matter about the weapon. It's like, if they're there, like you have to identify a lot of people go in and, and I did this when I was young, you would go in and look at the terrain and be like, Oh, this would be a great place and look great for a deer to travel through here. And you set up, right. Well, and you don't see anything because the point is if the deer aren't there, they're not there. So when I, one of my favorite ways to hunt uh, is going out of state and going into a new area blind and hunting. I love that. That's like my favorite thing to do. That's what I try to do at least one of those hunts a year. Like this year, I'm going to Illinois for the first time. And so when I get in the woods and I, this may go a little long. You may break it down from the beginning to the start. Like, yeah, I mean, would that, would that be helpful. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's perfect. I've got all these guys from Michigan coming here that are going to be yeah. doing just that. So. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So 
ideally for me when i when i do it um i you know obviously i'm gonna do some map scouting and i'm gonna put some points of what i think would be good terrain features kind of like what we talked earlier it, it looks you know looks good even if you walk in it it before maps you know not before maps but for say for onyx or spartan forge or any of these systems that people use like if you just walked in the woods you're like oh this looks good terrain for a deer to be uh so like i will pinpoint and do some e-scouting to identify terrain features and look at different layers uh to see what type of cover is there also if it's public ground which is mainly all i hunt um i'm gonna look and see like okay what kind of privates here is there ag and 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 like how do these funnels work from this private into that ag and i'll put marks on all that stuff and personally a lot of those for me i i i select tracks and i know you were saying the track y'all are going to is like you know pretty decent sized track that's what i look for i look for big tracks because big tracks allow me to get away from people because when we're public land hunting we also have to hunt the people too right we have to try to go places other people aren't going to be because that way they don't mess up our hunt and you know also there could be more deer there because there's less pressure so identify all those things and when i go on a hunt um let's say i've never been in there ideally if i'm picking a new state like illinois i'm going the opening of season just to cover country to get a good idea of what's going on but let's just say we're just going in blind for a rut hunt and i'm going to go in i like to arrive early afternoon when i get there i don't like to come in the night before and if i do come in the night before just for whatever i wait until it gets daylight and i walk in and my you got to start you know when you have five days we all get we all get pressured and think that we have to be in the stand to kill a deer but back to our point like if the deer aren't there, you're wasting your time and stand that you could have been using scouting. So I like to go in when it's daylight and I just start walking to these points and I'm looking on my way there. And I am really bad probably about walking past a lot of stuff to get to the deeper parts because the harder the terrain, I feel it's going to limit the amount of people. So I want to go to those spots. So I will, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible about this, just bypassing. I probably walk past Booners all the time to get back to where I want to go. And so, but as I get close to where I'm wanting to be, I start scanning, uh, looking for signs. So like, let's say, you know, all the foliage is off. Uh, I'm going to be looking for rubs, fresh rubs. I'm going to be looking for scrapes. I'm going to be looking for trails, obviously looking at feed trees to see where the does are. And I'm not going to set up until I find exactly what I'm looking for. And that may take me a whole day you know, before I do that. And sometimes it may take two days before I find that time, but I feel it's important for, for me to be successful to like put all the time in on the stand on a spot that I know the deer are actively using. And, and, and then specifically, um, if I'm, you know, looking for mature deer, I'm not going to stop and hunt until I find the sign that a mature deer is left. And then once I, locate those areas then i really start diving in and like picking it apart and finding out like how i need to set up and how that buck because you know how the animal is going to use that terrain because i you know i mainly i'm a terrain hunter so i mean i rarely hunt anywhere flat it's all hill country mountain country so i'm going to find out how they're going to use that to get there and the thing that we have to understand and this is something that I've really learned after spending a lot of time with Nathan killing over the last few years. And it made a lot of sense, even based on my own experience is 
mature deer, they don't act like the other deer. Um, and especially in public land, he has a theory, and I really believe in this, is that deer have certain personalities, just like humans. We have introverts and extroverts, right? A deer that's an introvert, he's kind of a lone wolf. I don't want to say lone wolf. Uh, he's he, he's a solo guy. He's a lone ninja. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so the deer, a buck that is social and is with all the other deer and he's out moving a lot and moving with them, he's not going to make it to maturity. He gets killed earlier. So a lot of your older deer in pressure areas are introverted deer. And so, and that makes sense. Like if, if you've ever been hunting an area that has a lot of sign and you're seeing, you're seeing a lot of deer there and maybe some good deer, you know, in certain areas, a, a three-year-old deer in Iowa is shit. I mean, bigger than the deer behind me that was six, seven years old. Right. So, you know, they look great, but the mature deer that's using that area, you rarely see him in there unless a doe's pulling him through really interacting with those other deer. It doesn't mean he's not aware of where those other deer are and he's not checking them out. He's just using a different path of doing that. So, you know, if you have a sweet saddle right here and it's getting a lot of scrape activity and a lot of, you know, you're getting a lot of deer on your camera and you may every once in a while see that, that old mature deer pop in there by himself, he's checking that area probably more than you think, but he's not coming there. He's using that little off trail faint that you see on that downwind side you know, at leeward side of the ridge, when you see those little faint trails, like his trails that he used are not going to be as, as beat in as the ones that everybody else is using. Now, obviously, statistically, do they walk down those same trails sometimes? Yes. You know, they get drugged down, down them by does, or maybe they're trailing. Uh, but he's normally going to be a, a lone survivor by himself living in his own little world. So, you know, there's varying ways of how you're going to hunt that. But you got to like think about those types of things when you're looking at a setup that looks great and has a lot of sign. And those trails, like it, especially here in the mountain country where I live, it's so hard, like the like hard as in the 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 ground. And there's not a lot of deer, so the trails aren't really beat in. So you have to identify those trails based on if he making a rub while he's coming down that trail. And you you find those, and you're like, okay, this is the line he's using. And usually, if you look at it even on a map after you find that you can see how he's going to, he, he uses that same terrain because they rarely walk up and down steep terrain. You know, they side hill to come in and check these, these areas. So he can come past that saddle where all these, all these does and younger adolescents are, and he can sit check that without ever popping himself up, you know, and exposing himself. Well, I think like uh, to your point, um, both about like a right at the beginning, like spending time in the woods or like, being out there and then you said you know from you know what nathan says and then your own experience is like how many times have you been out there and you're focused on this area and then there's deer out there and there's maybe a buck out there chasing does or there's deer moving through and then you hear that one little twig snap and then there's a freaking giant or you know bigger buck like over here like all by himself like Oh, that's what's going on over there. But yeah. he's got you dead and he's doing the same thing that you're doing. He's on the downwind side, you know, so those deer don't even know that he's there, let alone know that you're there, but he's, you know, 10 steps ahead of you because he's, he's right there. And I think that that's one of those, you know, things where 
the 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 time in the woods and i think the analyzing your quote unquote failures like every time you get busted by that you know when i was younger it would always be like oh man like oh you know i got busted i must have did something but in reality like i never looked back and said like why was that deer over there you know what i mean it was like, oh, yeah. I saw a big one and I got busted or or whatever. But I never really like took the time to figure out like why these things were happening or like analyzing like why that setup didn't work or or whatever. Well, the reason that setup didn't work, and in those, you've heard that happen so many times with people, right? And the reason that didn't work is because that person was set up to hunt those deer and not him. So you gotta, you gotta like change your strategy to hunt him. And, you know, with that being said that most of the time, you know, except the rut kind of changes things. Cause you know, they kind of can do some weird stuff. Right. But, you know, early season, October and things like that, you know, you, for him to see that deer, this goes back to tactics. Everybody is so set. And you hear this so many times of people saying, I'm only going to, hunt on this wind that's perfect for me well the thing is if it's perfect for you it's not for him so he you're not even going to see him when you're hunting that way a lot of times you know like so the best way to actually compromise on that guy that you really you know if you're going out for the, the bigger guy is like you really need to be hunting him and understand how to hunt him and the only and you got to understand he's a master so you have to actually gamble a little bit and this is like in, in my opinion it's my number one way of that's allowed me to be successful with hunting mature age class animals is and and you have to be willing to fail to do this but you've got to hunt him in conditions that favor him but have your setup just off to where like your say your thermals are great for that deer it's, if you're using trail cam data, you can see when he's coming in sometimes, and too many people do get stuck on hunting, hunting the camera instead of hunting the deer. But you, you know he's using this 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 trail or whatever to come in, and he's using it. It's not favorable for you. You got to learn how to set up to where you can hunt those conditions that are favor for him, to where your thermals are cutting, and you got to be really on a swivel to catch him, and have that open window to where your off wind or off thermals are like really cut and pass but have a window to where you can get an opportunity to shoot him before he gets into that spot and i've that in the and i've only started applying that because i was willing to start taking risks and realize that um worked and honestly i think the first person i ever heard talk about that was probably dan infault and like and it changed my way of thinking and i started doing that and i and what, for me what i call success is the opportunity to lay eyes on that animal within killing distance and like i said when you go aggressive like that you're gonna fail sometimes but at least you got to see him and if you didn't go aggressive you weren't even the game anyway you're gonna see the deer right but a lot of times it's going to work out for you and you just gotta you know everything's got to work right and cut right and i had this you know i had a i'll give you an example of a failure i had this happen a couple years ago on a deer i've been hunting for two years and he came and I had my off wind perfect and he was, but he had a doe in front of him. He was, a doe was on the same trail and he was following that doe and she got into my, 
off my off wind and thermals and he was behind a he was still in the roto and all he had to do was take one more step out and i was going to get a shot but she caught me she caught my thermals and she just blew out and then he just just went with her right but then i've also you know uh deer i have in that chair i shot him doing the same method and it worked out perfect like there was a window coming he was coming up this draw i knew he was using the trail i was set up you know, I was only six feet off the ground because if I got any higher, I was going to be skylined. I was just enough where a roto thicket was kind of covering me, but I knew he was coming in and it was just, it was really so exhilarating because I knew when he come in, we were going to be eye level because he was using like this, uh, a little bit higher elevation than me. I knew we were going to be eye level and I had to be ready. And it was like, man, I shot him on Christmas day and it was like, um, three, three degrees. And I'd been sitting out there for like five hours. Just, I mean, it's a mental game. You know, you, you got to be able to suffer to, to make this work or to be successful. You got to be willing to suffer, whether that's mentally sitting on a stand all day or walking in for days and, you know, without seeing anything like it's a mental preparation. But he walked in that window and I was able to get a shot off at pretty much eye level at 18 yards. And, you know, that's zapped him and, uh, you know, and I was able to compromise. So you just got to be willing to take those risks. And and it comes back to like what we were talking about, I guess, before the podcast is to take those risks you gotta be willing to go home with a a tag that's not notched do you think that that's like kind of like all the things that you you outlined there do you think that that is specific to traditional hunting inside of that window do you think there's more flexibility on those larger animals um with a with a tradition with with a wheeled bow then no i mean the, the only thing that differs in that is that it comes to it comes to how good you know how to set up to be that close on that trail so that's the limiting factor of the trad bow you got to get closer right uh with a compound bow you can get a little bit further out so you may be not more in his line of sight and that comes back to understanding how to set up in a tree. And there's this big misconception out there that people think you have to get so high in a tree. And trust me, I sell freaking sticks. Like I would love to people use 10 of them, right? Just for my own like financial, you know, compensation, but it's not reality because if you're not if you're not set up in a tree right and have the right cover, it doesn't matter because they're going to see you anyway, you know, like, especially here in the mountains, I can get 50 foot up in a tree and I'm still going to be eye level with deer at some certain areas. So it's a lot of times it's way better for me to be on the ground. And I do hunt off the ground a lot, but you know, I actually did a podcast yesterday with uh, national deer Alliance. And we were talking about these things is there's so many little factors of how to set up covers the most important. So wherever you find that cover, a cover could be one stick high. It could be on the ground. It could be, you know, 30, 40 feet. But it's not just the cover sometimes. You got to also think about, you know, obviously, you know, wind and thermal stuff like that play into the factor, right? But just pure setup. You got to think if you're at all day sit, how that sun is going to hit you. So if you're in the best cover in the world, but the sun's directly on you and you're in eyesight of that animal, you're, something's going to shine. And he's going to pick up that glare. He may not know you're, he, he's going to know something's wrong, you know? Uh, so that glare is going to show. So you got to understand like when you're setting up, in a, setting up a set like how are you going to be able to stay in the shadows as much as possible because being in the shadows is very important and and obviously covered free and get 
drawn. So, you know, that's where picking the tree comes in. And, you know, for me, like I, I, I hate, and sometimes you just have to, um, I, I don't like hunting barren trees, you know, um, I will pretty much hunt the ground before I'll get up in a tree with no branches. And so I really like to identify, you know, trees, a lot of branches where that be like cedars or some type of other, you know, coniferous tree or like maples. I love a maple, you know, cause a maple always splits at a trunk. A lot of times you have two and even, even, um, oaks do that a lot too. I love getting a set that, you know, ha- has two, you know, branches out cause that's going to block up your silhouette and, it doesn't camo doesn't make a damn you know i'm sorry like i've had so many people say they see me wearing a black hoodie and say well they don't pick you out i'm like no you know i've shot deer at 10 yards wearing a black hoodie it's because he didn't know i was there and he didn't you know even when he looked i had the breakup around me to break me up that's what matters is the breakup the camo i you know whatever it i i still do wear camo so i wear but i rarely wear full camo i wear um a solid with a camo pattern because that's kind of the old Fred bear style. You know, it's like, if you see one big blob of camo, you're a big blob, right? So you're a six foot person up there. That's big blob. But if you take, and you have a two different colors, that silhouettes can be broken in half because you have camo on the bottom or top and then a solid. So it's going to break you up. And if deer, you know, like people say, identify humans and trees, you're not going to look as much like a human um if if uh you're broken up like that does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah and you know you see a a lot of guys do it and it kind of goes back to the whole like dick measuring contest or whatever like where there's guys that are like out there in a hoodie or just i mean your stick bow guys are it's always the the flannels and the wools and uh you know kind of like the those old big checkered pattern type stuff and then you got the sicka guys who are like well i have the 700 hundred dollar jacket and you know i gotta have everything my truck's wrapped in sicka because you know i gotta show yeah. you like how yeah. how cool i am right yeah so well you know it's uh yeah i mean ultimately i dress up to to see how good i look when i take a picture with an animal right that's all i'm worried about like so plaid looks way cooler to me which i don't even wear plaid that much every once in a while but you know it looks a lot cooler that way but no the best the best type of clothing is the clothing that will keep you in the stand longer and you know i shouldn't say this because i sell saddles and maybe but i'm not going to ever misguide somebody if you think about looking at a silhouette in a tree if a person's hanging out from a saddle away from that tree, it doesn't look natural in my opinion. And what makes me feel confident. And this is just my own opinion and what I, and, and while I said that the main thing that kills animals is confidence. Confidence is what kills no matter what, if you're not confident in your shot, you're going to miss. If you're confident in your shot, you're more likely going to hit something. And if you're confident in your spot, you're going to sit there longer. So for me, I'm most confident if I'm in a tree, if I'm laid up against that tree parallel with it. So even with my saddle, and you know, that's why I made my saddle platform as deep as I did, is that way I could stand up sometimes. And and when I'm really leaning, it's mainly for comfort when I'm getting tired. But most of the time I'm standing. I mean, for years, uh, and my business partners make fun of me about this. Like when the first time I met Jordan, my business partner, he came in to because uh, we got connected and I killed the deer behind me and 
and call, you know, texted him. He's like, I'll come in with you. And we went in there and I'd been giving them crap about using saddles. And I was like, oh, so, you know, no, whatever. And they, they get to my setup and look at my stand. I had a, I had a, uh, I think it was a XOP. It was, it was an XOP small walk on that. I'd taken the seat off because I stand all the time and I was, and I hunt out of a rock climbing harness and they were like, man, you stand all day. I was like, yeah, but when I get tired, I take the slack out and I sit down in my um, rock climbing harness to take the pressure off. And they're like, oh, like saddle hunting, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's just, uh, yeah, just some uh, crumunchy stuff. But yeah, man, the best ki- the best hunting clothing is a clothing that's going to keep you in the stand longest. Yeah, and I just feel like, you know, I, I should say this, you know, because like we're sponsored by Huntworth and I don't know if you've tried any of their clothing, but like last year I was on a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. My buddy's a photographer and this is before we were sponsored or anything like that. And I got to keep the clothes. So I used them all like from like the whole month of December and the last day of the season, it was like, I don't know, 10 degrees and like 20 mile an hour winds. And I was hunting on this field edge, like on the ground, just trying to get these deer to come out. You know, they'd been crossing this, this dike at this spot every single day. There were some little trees there. And like, it was freaking great. Like, I was like, I was like, I would buy these. Like I would literally like buy these and like I've hunted in a lot of other different clothing where it just didn't block the wind like that. And mm-hmm. I think that that's like a hundred percent the point. Like I've got this, um, I think it's a Pendleton wool shirt mm-hmm. that my oh, mother-in-law yeah. got me from from goodwill for like 10 bucks it was like brand new it was too big for me i like actually took it to the tailor and had them like cut it down and make it fit me and like for late season like that's my favorite like mid layer is that i mean and and it's it's part of that like um like confidence thing like you were talking about like i know when i wear that like it's gonna keep me warm like no matter what you know what i mean like so it doesn't have to be like just you know, specific clothing or whatever, but the clothing has to keep you in the woods. Like if you're yeah. not comfortable, you're going to be like, okay, I'm going home. I'm I'm calling it. Yeah. Well, I mean, hunting clothing has come such a long way. I mean, I, you know, like when I started hunting, it was wearing walls, coveralls. Right. Um, but you know, when I got into mountain sports and doing alpine climbing and stuff, you know, I was using technical gear that was made for that. Like it's made to be streamlined, lightweight, packable. Cause you know, before you get to climbing, you got to get to the mountain. So you can't be wearing all this stuff and to get it in your pack, you know, like a lot of insulated clothing and like, this isn't a knock on Sika. Like I used Sika years ago and I, I think they make great stuff, but their stuff was never, you know, like all the good whitetail stuff. Just, I had to have like a 6,400, you know, bag to pack it all in with all my gear and so i like i supplement a lot of mountaineering you know like patagonia arteryx and stuff like that in but hunting clothing has come a long way and like you know i'm a i'm a first light guy i've been a first light guy since they because you know them and sitka were kind of the first in the game to start making you know and kuyu start making like more mountaineering style equipment into hunting gear and i just you know, I blended in w- with what, you know, their ethos was, you know, at first light, you know, I've got some of their original, uh, real tree stuff that they had. Cause they usually, at first they had real tree and they had ASAT is all they had. And then solids and like, 
so I, I, I've kind of stuck with that and I still uh, supplement, you know, but, and I'm, I'm buddies with those guys and I help out with some of the R and D work on the whitetail clothing and the clothing has come a long way now to where, you know, no matter what, like, I'm not just say, Hey, everybody go buy first light, but you know, cause a lot of these companies have, I mean, the elite, uh, Numa Huntworth, I haven't really checked Huntworth stuff out, but they're all like getting better because of competition. So now stuff is packable. So for me, that's important because I'm a backpack hunter, you know, and for most mobile hunters these days, we're on the move. So you got to learn your layering systems to be able to get there and what you need. And, you know, like everybody loves windproof stuff and, and it works, but a lot of windproof stuff isn't, isn't packable, right? There's not much out there that is. And so you got to understand there are things that can help block the wind that don't have to have a layer of windproof material, you know, wool, uh, you know, and, and different grades of wool, you know, Merino is great, you know, lightweight Merino is great for walking in, but it's not really good for keeping you warm. So you got to go up a level, you know, once you get on stand and then with a heavier a piece and then down is like, in my opinion, one of the best things of blocking wind uh, and keeping you warm and it's the most packable. So most of my like outer kits are, always down uh but there's a trade-off there with down it's like you can't I, you know to this day there's not there's well there's a few things are getting better but there's not a lot of down that's quiet because the the feathers will work out of like your quiet knitted material so they'll start losing all of its feel so you got to have a layer that isn't as porous so those feathers stay in and those those out uh, exterior layers are going to be louder. So, and people ask, I mean, I wear, I have a pair of, uh, mountain hardware, black down pants that I wear. They're a little loud, but you just got to learn that. I mean, for me, it makes me more comfortable to stay in the stand. Is it a little louder? Yeah. But I just don't move as fast. You know, uh, if I position my legs, right. When I see them, I don't have to move my legs anymore. So there's not going to be a chance of making noise with my legs. I, I do try to keep, if I, I wear a down outer, I will put some type of uh, soft shell over that, you know, um, to to keep that noise down. Because, you know, drawing, your, especially with a stick bow, you got to really get in there. Um, so you got to, you know, think about those little intricate things. It's funny when I see you do that, like you guys are going to need to watch the video on this so you can see uh, that drawing method Jason was uh, uh demonstrating is the superman ripping the shirt off method <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was my mr miyagi to you that day when you sent me your video uh you know because you were pulling with your shoulder and not your back and you know i'm not beating up on you but you thought you were giving your back or you're trying to get in your back but you're not gonna be able to come in your back if you're pulling with your arm here because like that's all shoulder to be able to i mean i can i can you know describe this a little bit like i described to you and i was like you know, to for proper stick bow form, you need to have your bow arm straight at the target and locked. And then to get your back tension, you have to, you know, you have your what they call a claw and you have to pull out like kind of like kind of like Superman's ripping off his shirt. And it, that engages your back tension. And and that's how you come into that position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but you see how like you see how instinctual that was for me. I didn't have to think about it when I showed uh -huh. like it just, it just happens, bro. Yeah. <laughs> i'm just kidding he's like when these glasses come off <laughs> like, yeah when the glasses come <laughs> off you know and that's the thing like uh jordan came in the shop the other day and you see i've got a beard and he's like oh shit it's time isn't it because like the beard only comes out during hunting season so 
you know, we're just getting everything dialed. And I, I usually drop the glasses and go to contacts when it's time to hunt. So, yeah, that's when I turn into Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'm not Superman of anything. Maybe of being a janitor. Well, awesome, man. We can kind of wrap this one up. What do you got coming up for the for the season? Like, are you guys open yet? And, and you got yeah, any big trips planned? Yeah, we we um we opened up last weekend and uh I got to go one one afternoon. Uh, I had my son, so but I, I got Saturday afternoon I got to go out and I'm you know here at home I spend a lot of time hunting and this is where I you know obviously pinpoint certain animals and I've got two really good deer ones like one is something really special. Um and I found him by hunting another deer that I thought was real special. And I, I only, and I rarely do this like, because just to kind of keep my mind fresh, like I rarely just go, well, I say that, I mean, I went all in on that deer there, but, um, I like to break it up a little bit, but last year I went all in on a big deer and through hunting him, I found another, just really something special. So I've, I've committed all my time to them. And, and my goal there is to, one thing that I've been trying to really improve on is becoming a better early season hunter. Uh, and that's been something I've been working on for the last few years. So I'm putting a lot of time in on, on either or cause we can kill two bucks and it would be, man, if I pull this off, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, but it would be awesome if I was able to, you know, have an opportunity at both, but you know, I'll take either one, obviously. Uh, so I'm going really hard in on them early season. Then I'm going to back out because, my favorite time to hunt here for mature deer is our second late archery, which runs from uh, mid December to December 31st. And that's when I see all of my mature deer on their feet more, um, more regularly and in these areas. So like, I'm going to lay off them. Cause I had, <laughs> I had both of those bucks and another buck that was pretty good in the same area in this area that I was wanting to hunt that I'd I left left cold um, after I put a camera in there and found the sign and, and just knew that it was either the deer I was after or something similar. And uh, my goal was to come back and hunt that week for the whole week in there. And I got COVID last year and, um, and I recovered from COVID, but my lungs weren't healthy enough for me to get back into the spot, uh, let alone try to pack one out if I was to kill it. So I'm, that's my strategy for them here. I actually, you know, talking like, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, you know, I act like, you know, I'm this mature buck hunter, but I found, I moved, uh, to a new area and then it opened up to some new, uh, public wilderness area. And, um, I found this killer spot because one thing I've been wanting to work on a little bit is to have these areas. Cause a lot of my areas that I hunt at here, they're, a, it's a big deal to get in there. Like it's a lot of time, it's far and it's rough. And I don't always have that time, but I still want to get out and hunt, you know, and I found this I've been focusing on finding new areas that are closer to where I can go and hunt for a couple hours because before I go into work, you know, cause I do have a flexible schedule some days or to get a quick afternoon hunt in. So I found this like killer spot when I was scouting that had all this deer trails coming together and, um, it's right under where all these meet. There's like a, a 12 foot boulder right there that looks over it. And like, that's where I'm going in the morning, actually. Uh, I'm because I usually I like hunting bigger deer in the afternoons, early season. So in the morning, I'm gonna go to this spot and I'll shoot anything from that boulder just because of like the whole nostalgia of it to me would be awesome. So that's my plan here. That and I'm doing, um, we started doing some, uh, assisting 
with some uh, BHA veterans hunts here in North Carolina. We did a turkey hunt with them uh, this season. And then I'm going to help out in October with uh, a muzzleloader hunt that they're doing. They pick, just picked a track of na uh, national forest up here that I've never been to. And I'm, they partner me up and, you know, whoever else is uh, helping with a veteran you're going in so i'm it's kind of fun because when i hunt with a gun or a muzzleloader i hardly I rarely get into a tree stand i always ground and pound it and uh so i'm gonna go in and teach this guy like essentially what we just talked about going into a new area blind and we're gonna go out there and try to get it done and he actually one of the guys messaged me last night i don't know who i'm partnered with but he said i'm coming to that veterans hunt I'm stoked to come out and hang out and i was he's like have you scouted it i was like nope i was like uh we're just gonna go in there and get after it and i was like he scouted it so that's on the radar and my son is 13 he's never uh he hasn't killed a deer yet because you know i could have poured out corn on some private land i have and like let him shoot a deer but i won't even learn the right way so or not the right way for everybody sorry that, that sounds like pretentious but how i want him to come up so he can understand the value and the hard work of you know what it takes to kill a mountain deer and i think he'll appreciate it much but uh but he's been so many years of doing that and the poor guy man he's put in i've logged so many miles with that kid since he was little and and honestly, like going in hunting with somebody, I would take my son before some guy I didn't know because I know my son can deal with it. But so this year, uh, my business partner, Tyler, does a lot of uh, he works soil and water and he has a lot of access to farmland. And, and there's this lady that has a Christmas tree farm. that's just loaded with deer. So juveniles next Saturday and I'm going to take him in and we'll see if we can get him a doe. And then the only other thing I have here, I've killed some bears. Uh, all of them been off. Um, tree stands i want to i want to try to kill a and they've been on private ground too and i was baiting for those uh, mainly because uh you know at that point when i was hunting bears i really a bear you know you're watching them come to the woods they never stop man they're just they're fidgety and and their kill zone is small and it's you know awkward place so like um i always felt hunting them over bait was like allowed me a more ethical shot but I really want this year to kill one on public off the ground with my stick bow. So that's something I'm gonna put some time to. And then besides that, man, I'm going to um, hunt Illinois for the first time this year, hunting a big track there. And I'm going to go there uh, opening weekend, October 1st, gather a lot of Intel, try to probably sh shoot a doe or something, fill the freezer. And then I'm coming back and doing, uh, giving myself two weeks this year to hunt my rut trip. And if something happens and I get successful early there i'm going to shoot from there up to ohio to a place i've been hunting for years and i got some buddies that are going to be there hunt with them and then i'm going to try to uh pull out a, a west virginia hunt sometime mid to late uh november and then that's really about it you know uh here and then i'm gonna do an all dad hunt uh sometime in february out in tech uh, west texas up in the mountains yeah and, he says that he says that like oh that's all i really got going on here like 15 hunts you know here there and the other thing well i got i got well i say a divorce i split up from my uh fiance that we were together for eight years uh at the end of last year and so obviously i've always had a little bit of flexibility since i owned, started my own business six years ago before timber ninja but you know you have to make everybody happy at home but this is my first year with not outside of having my kid week on week off like I can do whatever I want now. So like have all these grand, great ideas of what I want to go do. And so I'm going to try to utilize that time and hopefully capitalize on it and just ultimately have fun, man. And just, uh, and just have a good experience in the woods and see some new country. Heck yeah, man. Sounds like it'll be fun to follow along and, uh, hopefully, so we'll, we'll have this podcast out, you know, after your, uh, 
after your hunt there this weekend. So we need to see the boulder buck as the uh, the podcast yeah. photo. <laughs> Either boulder buck. I'm gonna sw- I'm gonna switch to Saturday night and Sunday night. I'm hunting those big deer. Um, I actually I'm a pretty aggressive hunter, but I went in pretty timid last weekend for whatever reason. Didn't even apply my own tactics, but I'm going straight in to where uh, I feel like I can get him killed, and you know we'll see what happens. So maybe hopefully. I could show you both you know that'd be a perfect world but we'll see man but uh yeah i appreciate you uh, i always enjoy talking to you man like i really enjoy our friendship so yeah i, I appreciate it too and like I say it's one of those things where i'm like oh, it's been a while i need to reach out to jason you know get get my my brow beat in for my form on my trad stuff yeah i know <laughs> yeah maybe at some point we could share camp or something heck yeah man i'm I'm down whenever. So, all right. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Appreciate you.